Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Mental Health podcast, the podcast that covers all things mental health in the spirit of advocacy, awareness, and education. I'm your host, Azine, and in today's episode, mindfulness facilitator Noelle Lim and I will be discussing mindfulness and how it can be used to maintain a better mental well-being. A little bit about our guest today. Noelle Lim attended a teaching training in mindfulness-based cognitive therapy at Oxford Mindfulness Center. She specializes in teaching an eight-week mindfulness-based cognitive therapy program and founded an organization called Kinder Mind to help reduce suffering by offering accessible evidence-based mindfulness training. So hello, Noelle. Thank you so much for being here today. Hello. So good to be here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, mindfulness is a word that I've personally been hearing a lot recently. And I always kind of thought of mindfulness as something that one can practice to become aware of the thoughts and subconscious tendencies that drive them. But I'm curious to know how you would define mindfulness. Mindfulness, as we know it quite intuitively, it's about paying attention, like being aware, just being mindful. And that's only actually just one element of mindfulness because you want to keep in mind two other components. And one is the attitude that we bring towards the present moment. So you're paying attention to the present moment and the kind of attitude uh, that you bring to bear. So attitude could typically mean values like values of kindness, empathy. It can be curiosity a beginner's mind, and I would term it as the willing attitude, willingness to be here in the present moment, because if you are willing, then a lot of things would just sort of fall in place. So that willing attitude, kindness. And then the third element is, I feel, is intention. What is our intention in this present moment? Now, when I say intention, it doesn't have to be something so big, like, you know, build a building or, you know, to write a code. The intention could just very well be putting in the right effort the right effort to be in the present moment. And I think this is really important to know this because sometimes when there's that misconception that paying attention, you've got to do it in a very concentrated Mm -hmm. manner and that can be not healthy. So I call it the right effort or the Goldilocks effect, Goldilocks effort. So it's not too much, not too little sort of a balanced approach in paying attention. And so that with this um, attitude, intention, it helps you pay attention to the present moment. Mm, Okay, so attitude and intention. And yeah, I think for many people, it can be a little overwhelming to start being mindful and kind of have to pay attention. And it's something that not a lot of us have consciously tried to do. So what are some small ways that we can all practice mindfulness in our day-to-day lives? So mindfulness can be done anywhere, anytime. Because you could be just sitting here and you could just be mindful, just being mindful how I'm sitting, paying attention to my posture, paying attention to what's around me. So these are some ways to sort of exercise our mindfulness Mm -hmm. muscle, our mindful muscle. And it can be done integrated with our daily activities like brushing teeth, eating, driving, uh, walking to school, for example. So there are little ways to uh, practice mindfulness. Now, there's always that close association between meditation and mindfulness. Yeah, but yeah. meditation is just one practice, and I suppose we'll talk mm. more about that. But really, mm. if you think about it, you can just practice mindfulness in any time of the day. And, and that's the best part. It can be five minutes, ten minutes, sitting in the train, waiting for your appointment. Um, mm. That is what I would recommend. And now, I also want to emphasize that so paying attention is just one aspect. But sometimes our mind is just constantly... You know, in a flux, like, you know, you are thinking about a lot of things. Maybe it's an assignment that we are working on or a problem that we are experiencing in the the home. So 
even bring to bear the values and that sense of taking care of ourselves is also one aspect of mindfulness and one way to reap the benefits of mm. being mindful. Yeah, I really like that kind of taking care of yourself is a form of mindfulness because I know that I personally kind of struggle with having a lot of thoughts racing and feeling anxious and stressed. And yeah, I really like how if you just take care of yourself, that's like a form of mindfulness. Mm, yeah, so uh, mindfulness is attention, is that attitude of kindness towards ourselves and to others and that intention of, you know what, I'm just going to take a very balanced approach in this moment. Yeah. yeah, and you know, I've heard of mindfulness being used to kind of maintain a better well-being and I wanted to ask how mindfulness can be practiced to deal with stress, burnout and anxiety. The reason for why stress or distress anxiety, burnout, depression, why that happened? Now, there are, these are symptoms and they can appear in different ways for different people. So for example, we both can experience anxiety, but it could manifest in different ways. Uh, we could feel it more physically, for example. So just keeping that in mind, um, there's never one... There are some common symptoms, say, of, about anxiety. Every person, everybody experiences it slightly differently. Now, underlying these conditions is a few things that are happening. And firstly, is to recognize that need for things to be different. So when things are not going the way we want it to be, so we may get frustrated, we may get anxious, we may get angry, upset, and so forth. And the more we are exposed to this kind of situation, the more we want things to be different, it creates more stress for us. And where does this need come from? That need usually is related to a survival instinct, the need to not to be abandoned by our group. And our group it can mean it could mean, you know, friends in school, friends in the office, colleagues. And so it's that survival instinct. And then there you have aversion and attachment. So aversion is the need to avoid unpleasant experiences. And attachment is the need to cling on to pleasant experiences. Now you might ask what's wrong with that, right? That's quite a humanly thing to do. So what we are trying to do in mindfulness as best as we can is to be aware of these needs that are underlying our reactions and causing us to add distress to ourselves. So that's one aspect of mindfulness, paying attention to, hey, what's really going on here? What's really behind this reaction that I'm experiencing? Now, we cannot avoid triggers. People will upset us. You know, we are human beings, right? Just because we are like, you know, we spend a thousand hours meditating doesn't mean that, you know, we may not get triggered. It's just that when we are like feeling upset, we can like, okay, I can, you know, deal with this. I feel like I'm resourced enough to deal with this. And so, what happens in mindfulness, there are basically like four steps. So one is to recognize what's happening. I'm feeling stress. That's the emotion of stress. That's the emotion of anxiety. So recognizing, acknowledging how you feel and with a sense of that attitude of non-judgment to say, okay, this is what I'm experiencing right now. I don't want to sound like I'm trivializing it. I'm encouraging people or inviting people to just consider anxiety or depression as that thing that you are just experiencing right now, this emotion. So recognizing, and then that's R, and then anchoring, A, so steadying the mind. So maybe moving your attention to something that gives you comfort. So it can be just feeling the body. So in mindfulness, it's a lot about, you know, feeling the body, experiencing what's, you know, felt in the body, or moving the attention to touch, you know, holding something that gives you comfort. You know, why kids hang on to teddy bears, for example, gives a sense of comfort, or so holding your child, or holding some onto someone, or a pet. So that's anchoring. And then that's integrating. So that means just bringing everything together, whatever's arising, we allow ourselves 
we just be with it without judging ourselves for having these experiences, not blaming ourselves, and not saying that anxiety is our identity. It is merely a condition that we experience. And finally, nourishing, you know, taking care of ourselves. And we spoke about that. That self-care element is really important in mindfulness. So it's not just about paying attention, but just taking that intention of just self-care. And so this is how I would say mindfulness can help people if you're experiencing conditions, symptoms of anxiety, depression, and so forth. So before we mention that, you mentioned meditation, and meditation is a very popular practice that uses mindfulness to train awareness. So can you talk a little bit more about meditation and how it can be used to cultivate mindfulness? There are many ways to look at meditation. Typically, one would expect, you know, the practice involves the sitting, closing your eyes or keeping them open and just anchoring the mind on something, usually the breath or the body or an image, visualization. So there are many ways to look at practicing meditation. In mindfulness, meditation is about bringing to bear what we want to practice, which is to exercise that mindfulness muscle. So paying attention, so paying attention on something. So we are allowing the mind to steady itself. So anchoring on the breath, body. And then when we sit in the meditation and we are just not doing anything, and by the way, meditation can be standing up or lying down. And when we're not doing anything, and because we are such driven doing kind of creatures, like we need to get up and do things, right? Even if we're like a, you know, we just like to lie down there. After a while, you might start to feel impatient, like, you know, life is just going by and, you know, <laughs> and you're not doing anything, you're just lying there. And so all sorts of emotions and experiences may arise, like a feeling of anxiety, restlessness, impatience. And so meditation is learning how to sit with that. When the impulses to want to do something, get up, do something or shift, we observe how we respond to it. We observe how we can work through all those impulses without needing to do anything. Because it's these impulses that underline that grasping nature, grasping for something, driven doing, needing things to be different, needing ourselves to just move out of this meditation mode. So in meditation, we are learning how to overcome these impulses and some would say desires. So it's a practice. Now, when I say desires, some people may say, you know, I'm actually not a materialistic person. I don't acquire material wealth and so forth. You know, some people may say that. But there are many things that we may be craving for, which are intangible, like approval, recognition, love. So we are learning to overcome these desires. And meditation is one form of practice because we are learning to just sit without impulses, without needing to fix them. And so that's how I see mindfulness meditation. It's not just about paying attention, but learning how to you know, work through our impulses. And what would you maybe recommend to individuals who struggle with meditating or focusing on the present instead of thinking about the past or the future? Firstly, I need to say that it's quite normal to want to think about the past or even think about the future. We are after all human beings. And so I think if anything, mindfulness would kind of like remind ourselves about our humanity, that we are entitled to our emotions. It's just that how we want to dwell on them or judge them, you know, where it becomes unhealthy. That's where we need to be mindful about. If anyone struggles with mindfulness, and remember there are these two other aspects, the self-care, and maybe sitting in this moment, just sitting, closing your eyes is not the most helpful thing for you at this point. And just to recognize that and to say, okay, you know what, I'm going to get up and maybe I'll go for a walk, you know, be with nature. And so mindfulness about recognizing what do I need right this moment. There may be that temptation, oh, I need an ice cream now. <laughs> so that can be quite common. So, you know, being mindful, will that add more distress later on? <laughs> yeah, so we 
this is about, you know, using discernment to be aware of what do we really need right now. And so I think, if anything, I think mindfulness kind of taught me that. Yeah. And I was wondering, is there an optimal time to meditate or practice mindfulness? Or is this something that, like, would you do it in the morning versus the evening, before versus after work? The purpose of practicing mindfulness or even meditating is to navigate or work through our way of not needing things to be in a particular way. Mm. So if I would give you a purist answer, it would be mm. any time is a good time. Right now mm-hmm. is also a good time. But we, I think we have to temper that with maybe some re- practicalities and realities of life. Like you need to go to school now. Mm-hmm. You need to go to work. <laughs> you know, this mm-hmm. time the boss is expected you expecting you to be in the meeting present yeah. with him. Yeah, so those are also opportunities to practice. It's just that maybe we can't close our eyes and just center ourselves during meditation. So I think the answer is anytime, anywhere, attempted with, you know, what's practical for us. And I would say a tip would be not after a meal because we'll feel really sleepy usually. Mm-hmm. So some people are morning person, morning people, so they can do it in the morning. Some people maybe are mm-hmm. late night habitual uh, creatures and maybe late night mm-hmm. works better. So it's, it's up to us to experiment. Mm. And would you say that mindfulness is related to self-awareness? It's a lot about that. So because we start to become mindful of what triggers us and how we react to it, maybe what triggers us, most people can be, become quite aware of it. But then seeing beyond that, how we tend to react towards our triggers. And that will give us some clues about us, about ourselves. Mm. So for example... If I'm constantly stressed by my boss picking on my mistakes, now you would think that is normal, right? To just feel stressed yeah. about it. It's just that if there's extreme stress, then we you know need to maybe look at that more carefully. Then we might notice our reaction is to get defensive. Mm. And so now seeing past that reaction, why do we tend to react that way? And sometimes, mm. not all the time, but sometimes it's related to that sort of self-defense, you know, the flight and the freeze mode. So we are fighting mm-hmm. back or we are trying to run away. And then we realize that it has a lot to do with the fact we're trying to survive. Mm-hmm. We're afraid that, you know, that if we don't, we are not yeah. perceived well, we don't get the kind of recognition that's due to us. So, you know, then we start to really unpack. And then when we become more aware of what's really behind all these reactions, and then we can, mm-hmm. you know, take action to kind of work with that. Mm-hmm. So kind of take a second to think about the why and then, from there and of course the why is not to ruminate about it i mean not in a judgmental way and building more stories and speculation but just to see things as they are yeah and i know that i remember learning about meditation a while ago and how there's different forms and i i think that when we think of mindfulness we think of kind of just being present and not really thinking about anything but is there like a sort of meditation or a sort of mindfulness where you can kind of let those thoughts ruminate and kind of accept them in a non-judgmental way. Yeah, so to also be clear that mindfulness meditation is not about emptying the mind mm. because it might not even be healthy to try to block off thought. It's to just accept that, oh, these are thoughts that are coming through. Okay. And that's one I think I want to kind of emphasize. And number two is that we see thoughts as mental events. So they come, they go. And thoughts are just products of the mind, right? Mental events. Mm-hmm. You and I can have a a different thought right now. And we could be sitting in the classroom together, a teacher is teaching the same thing to all of us, but we could be processing something quite differently in our minds. 
So thoughts are not facts, thoughts are just mental events and just recognizing that. And when we recognize that, then we realize that there are a lot of things we don't need to pay attention to. They're just like noise, you know, and then that's when we become more discerning. And then when we become more discerning, then we are more focused on what really matters. And so in a way, you could say it brings you to that space where you become just a bit more focused and then you can just pay attention to what matters, you know, what really is important and what you really need to do. And mm. so is there any meditation that you can sort of ruminate on your thoughts? Be- that kind of meditation may just bring you down a downward spiral. But I'm saying that it's okay to recognize you have thoughts and to recognize, to see what you are thinking, but not to be trapped in Trap. thinking that okay. that's your reality. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I know that through Kinder Mind, you teach an eight-week mindfulness-based cognitive therapy program. And I wanted to ask if you could tell us a little bit more about your program and how it works. So this program was developed in the 1990s. Three professors, Zindel Siegel, Mark Williams, and John Teasdale. The project received funding from MacArthur Foundation. To come up with something is self-care and low cost to deal or respond to depression. The alternative typically will be to see a therapist or to take drugs, right? And they come with uh, some downside and also upside, I have to say. Yeah. So depending on the person's needs, sometimes seeing therapy first before practicing mindfulness or going to see a therapist before embarking on a mindfulness course may be the best course of action. So mindfulness is an alternative for self-care and to maintain that momentum of recovery. So it was developed in the 1990s, but over time, MBCT, Mindfulness-Based Cognitive Therapy, has been quite helpful to people with just general life stress. And so what I teach is MBCT for life, Mindfulness for life. So the eight-week program, nine sessions, because it includes one retreat, a five-hour retreat where we bring everything together. And this program really takes us through the path of recognizing, acknowledging how we are feeling, stepping out of autopilot, because when we are in that autopilot mode, we become very mindless and the mind is just going around and around in circles and next thing you know, you're depressed and feeling anxious. So it's to be mindful, to be noticing what's going on. It's lifelong skills to develop. And then about integrating, you know, allowing whatever that's arising to be here without needing to always fix it or push it away. And then how to take care of ourselves. So that program takes us through that pathway. Why I decided to train as a teacher, I felt that this program, mindfulness in general, has helped me a lot. So bringing the element of understanding that thoughts will shape our actions. For me, it was mind-blowing. I know it might seem strange and for some people, it'll be like, yeah, of course. But it was revolutionary for me at the point when I discovered, like really discovered mindfulness. It was like, wow, our thoughts can shape our actions. And then we become more mindful and we realize that actually we don't have to act on every single thing that comes through our mind. Yeah, so, so I think MBCT allows me to see my reactions more clearly mm. and to be able to step away from that and to mm. be more gentle towards myself. Yeah, and my last question for today is, do you have any advice for listeners who are looking to start practicing mindfulness or integrating it into their life? I think an easy way is that to just start with a short meditation. Headspace has a lot of resources. Of course, there are tons of things out there. Insight. Timer is also another app to consider. Some of the teachers there are very experienced. So Insight Timer and Headspace is one way to just kind of dip your toes into, you know, practicing mindfulness in a sort of more intense way. And there are many retreats in the US that you could attend. And those are a little bit more intense, but you could go for day Mm -hmm. retreats where you just spend the whole day putting your handphone aside and just 
being at the retreat. Yeah, so that's what I would recommend. And in terms of book, John Kabat-Zinn, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, he's the founder of MBSR. His book's very thick. Yeah, he's written some really good books and I would recommend those. In fact, MBCT was, is developed based on MBSR with the added oh. elements of cognitive therapy. Yeah, thank you. I'm definitely going to check those out myself. So that concludes our episode for today. Thank you all for listening. And thank you again, Noel, for being here today. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. And see you all next time on the Let's Talk Mental Health podcast. <laughs>